0: Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. We're going to, we are going to do one out of, throughout the year, three or four church health messages, and we're going to look at issues that are important Within the life of the church. And they will be random, but they'll also be intentional in that we're going to look at specific things that the church is going through, uh, things that are going on in our culture and address those at random times, but it'll be also very intentional. And so we'll discuss many different things over the year when we come to these things. One of them, I'm not to address today, but one of them is why we meet here. And And looking at our church health and in our individual spiritual health, we question why do we come to church? Do we come to church because we are obligated to come to church? Do we come to church because there are incentives? You know, as we approach Easter, it's tempting to try to just pack the house. Let's do something really unique to get everyone in here. But one of the things we want to be careful about is, and we want people to be at church, but one of the things we want to be careful about is, when we come here, we come here because Jesus is worth it, right? Not because your pastor's going to do something silly or spontaneous, although with me, it's almost always going to be silly, but we come here because we love Jesus and we love his word. And so today I want us to look at a very important, although very awkward topic for us to discuss as we look at our church health. And that is to look at the uncomfortable topic of giving, of giving, of being good stewards of our financial resources. And there's a few disclaimers that I need to put out there before we really dig into our text and really use our text as a platform for looking throughout the scripture at what it means to be a good steward, to handle our finances in a way that honors God. There's a few disclaimers I want to I want to tackle first. Number one, I want to tell you why I personally, in my flesh, feel uncomfortable in preaching messages like this. You know, concerning the pastor here, I I hate talking about finances because inevitably what has happened is someone's going to show up to church today or perhaps you're watching online and you say, you know, that's all those preachers ever talk about. That's all they ever talk about is money and finances and giving to the church. And and especially as you look on TV and over the last several decades, you see how people who have claimed to be shepherds of God, under shepherds of God, people who have claimed to proclaim the gospel have hijacked it and used it as a means to accrue their own wealth. That's not what today is about It's not about making sure that one person is flying a private jet all over the United States. That's not what practicing good, biblical, financial stewardship is about. And so there is apprehension. I've talked to several pastors. There's apprehension amongst us talking about these things for fear of being put in the same camp of those people who look into the camera... Like I'm looking into the camera right now and say, if you just send in your money today and you pledge this with your prayer request, God will give you. That's not what we're about here. That's not the point of biblical, responsible financial stewardship. So I have real concerns about that. And I hate being associated with the prosperity gospel. We're going to talk about being good stewards today, managing our finances well, giving back to God what he's given to us, and the temptation in reading some of these passages is to think that if you just give, God's going to give you everything that you want. Spoiler alert, some of the people who've been the greatest stewards of their finances to God have lived on very, very little It's not about accruing wealth in this world. It's about being obedient to what God has called us to be. There's also some disclaimer I want to give now because some uneasiness I have in preaching this passage and on this subject is because I know that in our congregation today and in those watching online, there are those who are faithful givers to the church. And as I bring up this topic, and by the way, I don't know who he is and who, is not, uh, who, are, who are not faithful givers to the church. I thank God that I'm shielded from that information. But as we bring that up, I, 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 cons- I get concerned because I think, man, those who are givers are going to say, you know what? Josh is just asking for more and more and more. And asking you to sacrifice more and more and more. No, today, if you are giving as God has directed you, then today should be a source of comfort and of joy. Not a source of conviction, but a thankfulness that uh, that, that you and God are on the same page there. Also, my last disclaimer. One of the disclaimers about preaching these passages and these types of sermons is for those... Who do not give. And I'm always concerned when I come to passages like these, and on the few occasions where I've preached specifically on this topic, is that by guilt you may be guilted into giving. That's not the point of this passage. That's not the point of the scripture. Of course, there is conviction when it comes to believers not following Jesus' commands uh, altogether. There is conviction in our hearts when we fall short. There are conviction in our heart whenever we fail him. But the point of today's passage and of today's message as we look at this topic is not for you to give out of guilt. Because, friends, if you give out of guilt, you undo all that you did when you gave. And we'll see that played out here in just a few moments. So why preach this passage? And why preach this topic? Well, because, friends, as we grow together in the Lord, as we grow closer to Him, there are oftentimes difficult subjects that we must face. And as we come to this church health checkup, I want to suggest to you that there is no greater indicator of your spiritual well-being than to look at your bank account. What you love... You prioritize financially, which brings us to our passage today in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 19 when Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and whether... And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Would you pray with me please? Father in heaven, you know how much I cringe to even come to subjects like these. But Lord, I know that you spoke on these matters. And Lord, we want to be a church that is pleasing and honoring to you. So Lord, teach us today to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. Teach us today to set our heart upon you and upon you alone and not to put our heart in the things of this world. Lord, I pray that you would speak to me today. You know how very weak and unable I am in this very moment. And so, Lord, I need the power of your spirit to preach your word to your people today so that the lost would be saved, the saved would be drawn closer to you, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the text that we are using as a platform today to talk about biblical stewardship, Jesus commends and really uh, uh, encourages his disciples, he encourages the followers of him to make sure that their treasures are are laid up in heaven. Perhaps there is no greater text for our church to come to today than to come to this. We live in a world of instant gratification, do we not? We live in a world where you constantly need things and you want them right now, a social media age where you can get anything on demand. And Jesus says something telling here at the end of the passage that we looked at. He said, where our treasure is, that is where our heart will be also. My prayer for you today is as we look at this passage, as we look at this subject of giving, that by the Holy Spirit you would take inventory in your own heart. As we come to this church health checkup, that you would examine your own life by the Holy Spirit. And you would see where your heart is. Now, if you were to go to your bank account today, I wonder what you would say would be the priority in your life. So many of us have so many subscriptions to so many different streaming services. Perhaps someone might say, if they looked at our banking accounts today, that entertainment was our God or our treasure. By the way, the entertainment industry was one of the only industries not to go bankrupt during the Great Depression, but it was one of the only industries that skyrocketed during that time. We're always looking for a distraction, aren't we? Your bank account will reveal a whole lot about what you find important in this life. And Jesus states here where your treasure is, where your money is that reveals where your heart will be also. So let's look today at the subject of giving and let's look all throughout the scripture today and we'll look at it underneath two different questions. Number one, why give? Why give? It's the responsibility of the believer but why should we give it's all throughout the scripture if you're taking notes you've written down our first point today which is why give and let me give you a a second a, a sub point underneath that which is i want us to see today the command Today, if you are born again, that means if you have repented of your sins and called upon Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you are serving here at First Baptist Church of West Memphis, we say that uh, unashamedly, our only master is Jesus. Our only master is Him. We serve Him, and whatever we think about uh, uh Politics or society should be shaped by Jesus and not by our own culture. He is our Lord. He is our master. So why should we give? I want you to see today that the Scripture has commanded us to give. All throughout the Scripture, I could I could go throughout the Old Testament and cite several passages, but let's begin in the Old Testament and then make our way throughout the Bible together. If you have your Bibles, turn to Leviticus chapter 27. In verse 30, we'll be moving around quickly today. So if you have your phones, you'll probably be able to move more quickly. If you're uh, not uh, scrolling social media at the time, you'll be able to uh, go even more quickly. But Leviticus 27:30, when speaking on giving and on the subject of biblical stewardship, God tells his people every tithe. Of the land, whether the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees is the Lord's and it is holy to the Lord. My friends, perhaps the most holy thing that you will do with your finances, the most holy way to spend your finances is to ensure that at the very first you set aside an amount to give to the Lord through His. Church In the Old Testament, it is called the tithe. We'll look a little more detail at toward the middle of this message. We'll look in a little more detail at what the tithe means. But for right now, let's just understand that it means giving. God expected that his people, those who call him Lord, would give back to him just a portion of what he has given to them. Here in Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30, we are taught that the tithe belongs to the Lord. Now make no mistake, everything that you have, everything that I have belongs to the Lord. But the Lord asks us and commands his people to give back to him to be good stewards of our finances. It's taught in Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30. It's taught again in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. When Malachi says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, you see here, there's a clear command given to believers to contribute to the Lord through his church. Now, it's taught in the Old Testament, but perhaps you may say, Josh, that's just an Old Testament teaching. That's not a New Testament teaching. Did you know that Jesus taught tithing? If you have your Bibles, move with me to Luke chapter 11 and verse 42. Luke chapter 11 and verse 42. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 42, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he is uh, angry at the way that they have abused the law. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 42, he chides them he condemns them he says but woe to you pharisees you tithe mint and rue and every herb and you neglect justice and the love of god now if this were all that jesus had said you would say well perhaps he's done away with the tithe and of giving and he says you should just worry about ju- justice and love but he continues these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, Jesus did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And even here, Jesus commands his followers to be obedient in this task of giving back to God financially of what he has given to them. Jesus says so in Luke eleven forty two, 42. But Paul says it also in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. Paul is collecting for those who have uh, are fallen upon hard times. He is collecting from the church at Corinth for the gospel ministry. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7, Paul says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, In knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul's desire is that God's church would not just do adequately or be subpar in the grace of giving, but that we would excel in our giving. Why? Because Paul understood that premise that Jesus spoke. Moses understood in Leviticus that, that thing that Jesus would speak that we have read earlier today, that where your treasure is, There your heart is also. My friends, I wonder today, where is your heart? Where is your treasure? See, firstly, the command. God has given us a command to give back. But I want you to see also the promise the promise. Why should we give? Look at the promise. In Malachi chapter 3, in verse 10, we read a wonderful promise, but you need to understand the background that is going on right before this passage. God's people have come back from exile into Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is in shambles. The temple is torn down and burnt up their houses are torn down and burnt up the wall is gone and they are seeking to build jerusalem back they want it to be better than the way that they remembered it and so they're pouring all of their finances into getting their houses and getting all of their property into place and in malachi chapter 3 right before verse 10 god accuses them of robbing him He says, you have robbed God because you have withheld your tithe and your offering. That's why his house is in shambles. That's what God says in Malachi chapter 3. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God need our finances? No, he doesn't need our finances. Uh, our finances or our dollar bills are becoming less and less worth what we thought they were worth each and every passing day. But to God, they mean absolutely nothing. God says in Malachi 3, you're robbing me. That's why the temple is the way that it is. That's why it's in shambles and on the ground. Does God need their money to make the temple work and to run properly? No. This is the God who spoke everything into existence with just the words of his mouth. He could have snapped his finger and the temple would have been made complete. But God had a lesson that he wanted to teach his people. He said, when you withhold from me, you are robbing me. Now, none of us want to be in that position where we are robbing from God. But God says here, you're robbing from me to take care of your own benefits, to take care of your own needs. Do you not trust that I will take care of your needs? Have I ever let you down? We were uh, playing the other day, and... Uh, Bo and Belle were jumping off the trampoline for me to catch them, and it's a lot easier to catch Belle than it is to catch Bo anymore. Uh, he's getting a little bit bigger, and I told Belle, "I said just jump, I'll catch you." She said, "No, no, no, no." I said, "Just jump, I'll catch you." She said, "No, no, no." I said, "Don't you trust Daddy?" She goes, "No." <laughs> I said, "Baby, have I ever let you down?" Wait. No, don't answer that question, darling. Don't do it. Especially if you've been talking to your mama. I know that I've let you. I know that I can let you down. But God never lets us down. We don't rob from God so that we can take care of ourselves. Don't you trust that God will take care of you? Look at the promise found in Malachi 3.10. When After he said, you've robbed from me. Malachi 3.10, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. He never says that in all of Scripture. Here, God says, put me to the test. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse and put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down your blessings until there is no more need. Look at the promise that is there. God will take care of your needs. You put him first. If you seek him first in his righteousness, all of these things will be added to you. Now, does that mean you're going to have everything you want? Absolutely not. Now, some prosperity preachers perhaps would tell you that if you are just faithful in this matter, you'll have every single thing you want. You'll have that brand new car that you want. But it's often the case with God's people that, yes, we learn to live on less. But less seems like more when we have him. God has commanded us to give back financially to him, the tithe, we see the promise here that he will bless us and take care of us and meet our needs. I think of, I think of our, our brothers and sisters around the world who don't have the wealth that we have. That who still contribute to the Lord. Not only do I see the command and the promise, but I want you to also notice the wisdom. Notice the wisdom there is in giving. Proverbs chapter three in verses nine and ten, that great book of wisdom, the Lord says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first fruits of your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Here, you see, the wisdom is for us to honor the Lord with the first things that we have. We are leveraging the physical things that we have for spiritual things. We are leveraging the things that we have that will burn up, that will be gone one of these days for eternal and for spiritual blessing. Friends, I say this not as a matter of building me up or the facilities of the church up, but I say this as a means of building you up. If you want to see where your heart is, look at where your money's going. We've seen the command. We've seen the promise. We've seen the wisdom of the why we should give. But now I want you to notice with me throughout Scripture how we are to give. How are God's people to give faithfully? Now, before we dig into the New Testament, we have to go back and revisit that word tithe that I've mentioned so many times before this very moment in this message, and what that means. The first time that it's really brought, brought up in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 14 and verses 19 through 20, and here's what's going on before we get into that text. Here's what's going on. Abraham has a nephew by the name of Lot. Nephew's more like a son to him, really. They're very close. They both left Ur and have traveled into the promised land. And they've become so wealthy and they've become so prosperous that the herds of their flocks cannot remain together. So they have to split ways. And Lot moves down to a little valley next to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is minding his own business one morning when all of a sudden a servant uh, comes running to him. He's he's out of air. He's sweating. He's you can see there's probably blood on him and he's covered in dirt. And he says, Abraham, last night some kings in the surrounding area invaded Sodom and Gomorrah. And they stole all of the money and they killed lots of people and they have taken Lot and his family captive. And Abraham did not know a whole lot, but he knew that Lot was his. And so that night, with the the Lord's blessing, that night, Abraham had gathered all of his untrained servants, trained them, and went out, found those kingdoms that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and took their money, and Lot chased them down and destroyed them. And as they're coming back into that area, as they're coming back with all of these riches from their defeating the enemy... They are met by the high priest, Melchizedek, who the Bible says was God's high priest. He is referred to as the king of Salem or the king of peace. And there, Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And in chapter 14, verses 19 through 20, he says this to Abraham. He blesses him and says, Blessed be Abraham by God, most high possessor of heaven and earth, And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham gave a tenth of everything. The principle set forth here, and it goes throughout all of the Old Testament, is that a tenth of what God's people have been given goes back to God. A tenth. I was explaining this to my son over, we explained it throughout throughout his life, but really over the last few weeks, I said, son, we, you know, we, we tithe in our family. We want to teach you to tithe, and he was asking about it, and I said, son, if you have one dollar, if you earn one dollar, 10 cents of that goes to God in his, through his church, and he said, okay. I said, now, son, if you get $10, one dollar of that goes to God in his church. He said, one dollar? One dollar? I said, son, if you get $100, his eyes got big, $10 of that goes there. He said, $10? It seems like a whole lot. But you know what? In our American, Americanized Christianity, we think that we've earned everything that we have. I've worked for some of you in here. I know some of you are very hard workers. And any of the finances that you have managed to save over the years, it's been, you think, because of your hard work. And for many of you, we've worked together. I've seen your hard work ethic. I love hard work ethic. I do my best to be a hard worker. My dad was a hard worker. His family was hard workers and instilled it into us. But friends, I want you to know your hard work hasn't earned you a single thing. Every good gift that you have has been given to you by your God who is in heaven. You, you say, oh Josh, come on. Now listen, when whenever I went over to Africa on mission trip uh, in, in Ghana, the hardest people I've ever seen work live in the most amount of poverty. Their hard work didn't earn them the riches that we have. Your hard work didn't earn you the riches that you have. God gave it to you. And you and I are responsible for how we manage those resources that God has given us. A tithe literally means a tenth, But in the Old Testament, the scripture, uh, when it refers to the tithe, it's, it's not exactly the same thing that we read in the New Testament. It's, it's a precedent set for the believer. Not a not it doesn't seem to be a hard and fast rule. We're gonna see how God teaches us to give in just a moment, but it's not exactly comparing apples to apples. The tithe also served in circumstances as a tax as well. How does the New Testament teach us to give? For that I need you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in verses 6 through 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. As we look not at the precedent of why, of how we give, but the practice, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 6 through 8. Paul is admonishing the Corinthian church to be givers to the gospel cause. And in verse 6, he says, The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. How does the New Testament teach us to give? Paul teaches us here four ways, set into two different categories, in amount and in Attitude. The first thing he says is that we ought to give generously. Look in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Here the scripture teaches us that we ought to be generous givers. Generous givers. Now the best way that I can illustrate this is to look at the difference between a parent and a grandparent. Okay, and some of you grandparents can really identify. Some of us parents, we don't fully understand right now. But if a child asks a parent, if Bo asks me for $10, I'm going to say, for what? What do you you need, son, what do you need $10 for? Okay, let's go get a chore. Let's go figure out what we need to do to earn these $10. But if that same boy goes to my dad and says, Papa, can I have $10 Papa, oh, all of a sudden the bank has just opened up. I don't remember that being the case the entire time. Now, now my dad was always generous with us, but I don't remember that being the case the entire time. If you want to learn about generosity, oftentimes you can look to papas and nanas and grandparents and see what generosity is. But if you really want to see it fulfilled, you can look to Jesus who lavishes us with his grace. Therefore, as givers, we ought to be generous givers. We ought to give to the Lord generously. That's the amount. What is the amount? Now, you know, what is is it? 10%? Listen, I don't want to get into defining generous. We're not going to play the Bill Clinton define game here in the church. That doesn't matter. What matters is that you... Sit down, you pray, you look to the Lord, you see see what He has given us in Scripture, you see the precedent set. On the day that you stand before the Lord, you're going to be the one who's going to say, Looking to the Lord and saying, Yeah, I was generous. And He's going to say, Yeah, I know whether or not you were generous or not. You don't have to define that. He knows what generous is. We're also to do it willfully. Looking. Verse 7 again, or looking in verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. I cannot imagine something worse here than for me to preach this message and people to be, begin to give under compulsion. Right? If you give under compulsion, it means nothing to the Lord. The heart matters more uh, to the Lord than anything else, He knows your heart. Here, the Bible teaches us to be willful. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Can I add here also, we're to give of our first fruits. I love, by the way, I love online giving. I give online. You're able to do that here at this church. I love online giving because it's the first thing that ever happens. When I'm paid, the first thing that happens is that from my bank account comes my tithe and my offering. It's it's automatic. I want it to be the first thing. I don't want to try to take care of my stuff first. I want to make sure that the Lord is taking care of first, that I'm obedient in that matter. It reminds me of taking youth on a field trip. I remember when I was a youth pastor in North Little Rock, Arkansas, we would... I would take the youth on a, on a, to a camp, and I would say, "Parents, they need this amount of money, and they're going to need so much for each meal, right?" And so, before we would leave, I would tell the students, "Students, you're going to need X amount of dollars for each meal, so keep that in mind as you have the money that your parents gave you." And inevitably, the first time we stopped to uh, for a bathroom break, some student would go into the gas station. And would spend all of their money on candy and Cokes and like something like as seen on TV or, you know, right by the cash register. They'd buy and say, look how cool. And I'd be like, yeah, but how are you going to eat the rest of the week, right? We ought to make giving to the Lord a matter of priority, a a first thing. In verse 7, we also learn that we're not only to give willingly, but cheerfully, cheerfully. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not a begrudging giver, not a scrooge, but someone who joyfully gives. Friends, we ought to be people who joyfully give back to the Lord just a portion of what He has given to us. We ought to be cheerful givers. And then finally, I want you to see with me throughout Scripture that we ought to be sacrificial givers. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The template set for us in our giving is set in Jesus. How did Jesus give to us? Was it begrudgingly? Was it unwillingly? No, he gave to us cheerfully. It was the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame. It was was his joy to do so. He sets the precedent that we as believers ought to be sacrificial givers. You know what? Out of all the things that you saved up, every bit of it is going to be gone one of these days. It's going to burn up. It's not going to last. All of the things that you saved, some of your children may want some of those things. Some of them may not. It's going to be auctioned off. It's going to be gone. it's going to break it's not going to work anymore as believers we take our finances we take our gifts we take our talents we take every resource that God has given us and we leverage it for the gospel we leverage those things for the gospel we say Lord I know this money is going to burn up one of these days and I know it's becoming worth less and less but Lord I want to leverage these temporary things for eternal causes Jesus teaches us to give sacrificially. in Second Corinthians chapter eight and verses one through five. Paul is speaking of the sacrificial giving of another church. He says, "I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The Macedonian church was filled with a bunch of broke people. But when they heard that saints needed it, when they heard that the gospel was being proclaimed and that it needed to go forward, they begged Paul. Paul, you can almost imagine him saying, no, wait, 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 wait. Listen, you guys are not doing well. And they begged Paul for the opportunity. Let us give sacrificially so that the gospel can continue to be proclaimed. My friends today, as we have this church health checkup, it's time to evaluate. We've learned today why we should give. We've seen the command clearly given in Scripture, the promise of God's provision, and we've seen the wisdom in giving. We've seen how to give, that we are to give cheerfully, that we're to be those who give not out of compulsion, but willingly. My prayer to you today is as we've come to this topic on giving, is that God has spoken to your heart. Perhaps you're here today, you are a giver, you've been faithful in that matter. I hope that you've been encouraged. Today, I hope that you've heard the gospel proclaimed as we've looked at this subject of giving. And my prayer today is that God has spoken to your heart. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.